Ooh, we're recording. Yeah, for audios. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to audios. Well, thank you. How's it going? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Uh, when did I see you last? Like in the woods? Oh, probably. In Olympia, in like. That sounds right. That sounds usually like where I am. 2019 or something like that. <laughs> oh, I thought it might have even been further back. Maybe further back, possibly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So is this a real background? This like hammock? You're like in like Cambodia right now? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It's a good hang for all of COVID. You just in. Yeah, I just went to Costa Rica. And, uh, On the river. Yeah, I'm just hanging out in Thailand. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you because every time that I talk with you, I learn something new that I've never even considered before, and I'm excited to find out what that is this time. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good conversation, right? It gets, like, with anyone. If you go somewhere that you haven't gone before, that's always my ideal. Exactly. Like an unexpected turn in thinking. Yeah, well, how would you describe your... <laughs> how about this? How would you describe your job? My job? Okay. Yeah. Um, my paid job, I assume, is what you're talking about. Right, I know. That's why it's a loaded concept. Whoa, we're talking about work? <laughs> well, people say that. They're like, what do you do? Yeah, and it's like, I'm a lot more than my job, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Don't put me in a box, man. Totally. Um, I'm just an audio <laughs> maker, dude. <laughs> You're so limited. You're just a podcaster, man. Podcaster. <laughs> oh, do you not identify as a podcaster? I'm sorry. I made an assumption. Yeah, please don't. Please don't miss. Please don't misidentify <laughs> me. Are you a pod? Have you ever been on a podcast? Is this your first podcast? Oh, I've been on so many podcasts. I'm like very popular on the podcast circuit. This is like my 17th interview on a podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> no, but I will say I haven't. It's not very often that I like go into a Zoom room and then it's like, this is already being recorded. Like that's that makes me feel like, oh, we're on we're on stage. Like we're we're stepping into a zone. I like it. It's a different. I've done a few recorded Zoom things. So this is unpaid work, but I've done like theatrical Zoom stuff where we're doing oh, right. we're doing a play, but it's online. So it's like basically the the camera is like acting as film. That's mostly what I've done. But anyway, backing up to what I do for paid work. So I work at the college in Olympia where I live. Currently, I run the student wellness center. We have counselors, we have medical providers, and we provide services to all of our students on campus, both those who live there and those who are non-residential students. I'm feeding treats to my dogs. Just that's what I'm, that's why I'm like, I'm also like, you know, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I have to just be moving. Did you know about this phenomenon now where like new classrooms are being built for kids that are like not expecting you to sit in chairs? No, but yes. Of yes. Great. I know, right? Oh my gosh. We were watching this TV show last night about these Japanese kids. It's like they give errands to their toddlers to do in the oh. town. And then the camera crew like follows the kids and can they... Yeah, I did read about this. It's like the cutest thing ever because they like try to do things and it's just... 
ridiculously cute because they are two-year-olds yeah but what's funny is they run everywhere yeah exactly like they're like okay i'm gonna go to the store and then they just run well this is actually kind of what i thought we might we might get to this but maybe we're already getting to this what is the impact of like social norms in terms of expression like what are we supposed to act like and how does that manipulate like how we are because i probably if no one told me that i should behave a certain way like i probably would i always feel like i'm kind of on the verge of being acceptable in my like especially in my physical movements because i i would much rather be sitting in weird positions like i don't really like chairs i've realized that it took like so much time to say that and nowadays in schools a lot of kids are like i'm this i'm that and it's kind of a joke like i identify as this and i have this and i have this and this but it's also like in some ways that's really cool because it's people honoring their specific ways of being in the world and i think that it's it can be limiting it can create more separation between people and like you know i can't do that that's not who i am that's not how i like to do things but on the other hand people just growing up going like I'm going to take one of those chairs in the back where you like, where you, it's like a ball and you're just rolling around on the ball the whole time during class or like bouncing up and down or you can like have a standing desk. I think my experience at school would be totally different. Oh my gosh. Well, and what are you being taught anyway? You mean like in terms of the social conditioning, like the the physical behavior? Or even the content that the teacher is trying to get across. Yeah, like social studies. Mrs. McNault, sixth grade social studies comes to mind. Mrs. McNault, exactly. Mrs. Coop. I was just talking about this with someone, like how, well, a lot of my teachers were women, like almost all of them, like K through 12. It started to get more men as I got older, but especially elementary school, it was all these women who were like, pretty hardcore kind of old school managing the classroom not like the fun types so much where did you grow up uh here in the northwest i was in dc for a couple years but mostly like outside of seattle um and olympia but i was remember like miss shackleford miss Smith, miss dixon miss spencer miss trendler like i'm all of them they're all single too are they all single? Miss? No, they probably are misses. I'm with you. I, I've never thought of this, Emily. I had Miss Ritt, Mrs. Cooney, Mrs. Coop, <laughs> Mrs. Pearson, Mrs. Fillings, and then sixth grade, we had Mr. Davidson. Whoa, what was he like? Questionable. Probably gay, now that I think about it. He was probably gay. No, that's so funny. Because I was just talking... Wait, you're Catholic, right? Your family is Catholic? Yeah. Yeah, so... I was just talking to my friend who was went to Catholic school and we were commiserating about, you know, early life experiences. And he said, this, he said, like, I had all female teachers and then I had this one teacher and he was gay. In retrospect, I think he was gay, but he was closeted because it was like in Catholic school. So he was kind of cr- grumpy and cranky because he like yeah. probably couldn't be himself. And that was shitty. Right. Yeah. I've never thought of that. I, I, cause I know he was single. I, I think I knew that he was, we knew that he didn't have a wife. Right. That's funny. That's the, the only option is either wife or single. Wow. Why is it, why does that, why does elementary school self select or seem to be all women? Well, I mean, I think that it's very classic women's work. It's just an extension of, it's like a professionalization of like women's work, which is like caring for young people. Like school has just become like right. a daycare for people who are like five to 12 years old. Right. And it's now becoming more cool, maybe more acceptable for men to like work in these helping professions. But historically it's been like 
that's what women can do for work. But I will say that, I mean, this goes without saying, but maybe it's important to say that these women, like, especially Mrs. Dixon, like, blew my fucking mind. Oh, yeah, totally. She was, like, the best thing ever. She, like, still, it gives me chills to talk about her. Like, she, oh, my God, second grade was, like, the pinnacle of existence. (laughs) Mrs. Cooney. I, oh, my gosh. Okay, let's share one memory from our second grade teachers, because this, we'll we'll trade. Okay. Because this is, I've never forgotten this. I've told this so many times. Go ahead. I want to hear. So, at recess, there was a problem with the slide. People were spitting on the slide. They were pushing on the slide. They were putting rocks on the slide. Pretty fun. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> rad. But the slide was really becoming a problem. And so after recess, we get into class and Mrs. Cooney says, okay, we are going to make rules about the slide collectively because we can't have this anymore. So what are the rules for the slide? We're going to come up with it as a community. Well, this is your first communal, like, consensus building experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, cool. So we're like, don't spit on the slide. Don't put rocks on the slide. And she says, no, these need to be do rules. Whoa. Not do not do, but do. (laughs) I mean, minds blown. Like no one has ever told us that. It's like our whole lives has been, don't do this. Yep. Yep. It was like silent, Emily. The whole class will like, could not switch over to that for a while. Oh my God. That's also giving me chills. I know me too. Someone is like, do wait in line. You know, and it's like, yes. Yeah, starting to get it. And then we go from there. Kudos to Mrs. Cooney, man. Like, that was rad. That's radical. And I think that that's, I mean, and now that's shifted more into the mainstream way of teaching, right? Like the way that you approach communication, not just teaching, but you would focus on what we do, what we, like the positive rather than all the rules that you don't do. So, yeah, like, it's interesting to get older, like I'm nearly 40 and it's like i officially feel like i'm you know an older generation and i see like what younger generations are learning and how they're being trained in schools and how like and and like the themes of parenting like what's in vogue for parenting is officially different now than what it was when i was a kid totally officially not the 80s even though the 80s are like in style again Fashion wise. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely no people in any of my elementary classes talking about identifying as like changing their pronouns or anything. And that. Sure. Or like dyslexic or like I have a learning disability or I'm someone who has a sensory disorder and like I like to move around or like I'm a vegan or I'm gluten free or like there's. Yeah, these identities are so. Oh my gosh, we got a couple threads here. Okay, wait, but quick, do you have an anecdote from second grade? Well, okay, so for me, it's it's like Mrs. Dixon was just kind of like she reminded me for some reason of a poodle. Like she was, she had this like soft. Everything was soft about her, and every, she had like soft hair, and it was like done in this way where it was. I just remember it so clearly. It was almost it, had, it was like curled here, and then she pinned it back, and it was like a perfect little loop here and she wore like soft silky blouses something soft really did it for me about her but she was like and I think it was just that she in terms of my mind she challenged me and didn't she was like all the way like she was the first person who just 
encouraged me to go for like whatever I wanted to learn. She was like super encouraging. I remember learning the abacus. Oh, cool. Moving the little beads around for counting. So I was like, I think my mind was just blown with what I started to understand about the world, like multiplication tables, reading chapter books. I was like, getting into books. I learned about what sex was. Whoa, in second grade? Yeah, not in class, like more like behind the scenes. Yeah. It was like more, the, <laughs> it was more like people are chatting about it. Like, did you know, like, what did you know about this? We had in fifth grade, we had was when Minnesota like got rolling and we had like- Sex ed. Yeah, sex ed. Mm-hmm. But it was still mysterious. Oh yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Like sex, like did you have, we had separate portables. We had to go, girls had to go in here. Boys had to go in here. Yeah. And I also think that's yes. super confusing because I really would have liked to know more about like penises and like what's going on with the boys. Wouldn't that make so much more sense to like also learn about other people's bodies? I mean, maybe like the most sense. Yeah. The lowest teen pregnancies and lowest abortion rates are in countries where there's an explicit sex education in kindergarten. Yeah. You know, like why, why is it? Well, because it makes people, it makes children have sex. Like, obviously if they know about bodies, then. I really like that. You said it's wellness. It's the wellness center, Mm -hmm. not the mental illness center or whatever. Right. Right. Well, again, it's that positive twist. Oh, can you hear me? Nothing changed on my end. I don't know, you went away. Hmm. Hey, 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 how about now? It's it's these stupid, it's these uh, headphones will immediately stop working. It's working the whole time. (laughs) I'm sorry. Damn it. Sorry. Okay, so you call it a wellness center. Correct. Because we do the positive spin, the spin on the fact that wellness is a creative work. Wellness is a lot more broad. Wellness is being alive. It's different than, it's not the negative. It's not like the absence of the absence of things. I mean, I also think the illness based model of mental health is extremely destructive. Yeah. Well, I think that just the model, just the way we're taught that like some people's minds or feelings or bodies are wrong and some are better because they we're talking about some function in society basically like our measure for what's normal has just been created to be like who's functional in society who can make money who can perpetuate the work of capitalism i think that that's those are the indicators and then when we internalize like if we're not like that if we're pulled in other directions and then there's also like influence from religion and influence from family trauma and family values there's tons of reasons but basically if we don't fit in then we internalize that we're wrong and then we're treat then we seek treatment like what's offered is help as though there's something wrong instead of like a paradigm where, and this wellness center is not like this radical, but it's like my personal thinking separate from my work is just that there's nothing wrong with people. It's just about like our adaptation and our language is really off the mark in terms of how we, how we think about who we are. It's so pathologized and it's unfortunate. I think to some degree it can be useful because it's a way of explaining who we are, right? It's like, Hey, this is, I have this disorder, which means I like to move around constantly. It's like a way of explaining myself. Or it's also like astrology, like, hey, I'm a cancer. So that means I 
you know, it's a way of explaining me, but if it just is through the lens of what your struggles are, it's really limiting to like the wholeness of your identity and your experience because we're so much more interesting than a list of symptoms. Man, identity is really at the heart of so much of this. Yeah. How we identify ourselves, how others identify us, how a an illness-based approach to mental health might identify your disorder or your pathology and then then medication that might be prescribed to correct that pathology or that illness and in some cases some people feel that works for some people and they feel better and they feel more normal I guess or well I think that's like what you're saying is interesting because it works for some people they feel better they feel normal like that's those are the marks of really what we're often trying to do is quote help people adjust to living in this society and arguably that's a fool's errand because the society is intolerable so you should be angry and you should be freaking out right exactly but at the same time like i understand that sometimes people can't just like there's also a modicum of like you need to survive and what are your values and for whatever reason if your values are i want to be able to have a job then you know it's not wrong to like want to be able to do the things you want to do for whatever reason you're obsessed with cheetos and maybe it makes sense to be supported to like go get those cheetos like for whatever reason you know it's not my judgment on like whether cheetos are good or bad man i had a whole journey this morning so it's really it's really well timed the bruce springsteen verified fan on sale tickets went on sale this morning okay and my mom wants to go with me in minnesota so mother son you know go see bruce so ticketmaster is doing something called dynamic pricing where the algorithm like figures out the demand and the pricing changes in real time whoa so i get in there and i'm like okay those and i kind of know i know like in an arena show what's a good seat you know so i'm like curious i look look at the front row the front row is two thousand dollars two thousand dollars and then I look at these tickets and they're 350 each. They're lower tier, a little far back, but not bad. And I'm like, 350, ooh, it's a lot of money, Bruce. You know, like Bruce, that's a lot of money, Bruce. <laughs> but at the same time, it's Bruce, it's mom, whatever. So I get into the queue and I like, yeah. something about my credit card doesn't go through and I lose them. Oh shit. And I get dumped back in there. Those same tickets are 850 now. Oh my God. It fucks with your mind. It's crazy. And so I went into this whole thing where I'm thinking, first of all, I'm thinking, well, I am certainly not a successful musician (laughs) because like Bruce Springsteen announces (laughs) this morning, I'm going to be in the, in this arena, I'm putting tickets on sale and it's gone. They're all gone. Everybody bought them. They bought them all. And there's just not that demand. I mean, I'm, I'm booking these gigs, you know, it's not like, I mean, by whatever measure. But also, it's like like you said, if we just value, money is so funny because it's it really is just, you have to get it. Mm-hmm. And if you have, if you have two and a half million dollars, you can buy a house where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy it and have it and it's great and you've got a house. That's how much it is. If you have $2,000, you can go see Bruce Springsteen in the front row. Right, there's actual quality of life benefits to buying in, to participating in the system and to functioning 
You get like right. quality of life, you get better health, you get a more fun time, you get you get really reinfor- positively reinforced for, you know, being part of things. So that's real too. Right, whereas you get neg- so negatively reinforced for being poor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for being poor, for being quote crazy, for having like for doing things that are not um agreed upon, you know, good for you success and like you said even your thing about i've you've internalized that you're not a successful musician right like that i know is even because the mark is like about money and being wanted and that is you know the construct for artists in general is like can you be an artist can you be do you you have to work so hard to define your own sense of success outside of that because it's like it's nearly impossible if you don't get validated with money and with like attention and desire and all that stuff are you still the same brilliant artist it's hard to tell and it feels damn good to get like to get money and to get things because then I mean, it's like both the spiritual aspect of like, I'm seen and I belong and I'm doing the right thing. And then also the like, I can pay for my meals. That's nice. Yeah, Bruce must feel very seen this morning. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I wonder, I wonder about that. Like, what is it like when, cause like there's a very few people who have gotten that level of like reassurance and validation. And then like, what, what goes on in your psyche when you've like reached the, 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 you've gotten to that place in your lifetime. My guess is that you don't just all of a sudden have like an experience of bliss. It's, it seems, then you like get addicted to pills or you like, you know, get whatever, whatever you do. Like just because you have a lot of money, like that doesn't mean that our minds rest or that we know how to. Right, right, right. You don't really get a break in society, even if you get the things that we all are trying to get, quote unquote. Right. A lot of people are really unhappy when they have the things. They have the house, they have the children or the marriage or the job. And like, they feel just overwhelming grief or sorrow, or I don't think we can really escape that stuff. You sang about being a rich man in a poor man's shirt. Yes. Is it easier being Bruce Springsteen now? Uh, it's pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) It works. That's what I'd have to say, you know? I mean... uh, Defining success as an artist is kind of like this ongoing sliding scale thing. mm -hmm. But I just had this moment this morning when I was like, I even used the word success. I was texting with my mom. I was like, Bruce is a very successful musician. You know, it's like by all of those measures, by like the diagnosable measures that would be like in the, mm-hmm. in the DSM of successful music online, it's like, mm-hmm. he's one of them, man. I mean, there's like no question. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I went and played this memorial. Rain and I both went and played this memorial for this guy and, San Francisco the other week and he was like a very supportive fan of both of ours and this friend of his came up to us afterwards and she was in tears and she was like I just want you guys to understand how much Michael loved your music Mm. and Mm. shouldn't that be enough you know but at the same time how many millions of Michaels are there who love Bruce Springsteen's music Mm -hmm. And is that more valuable 
or or arguably is it arguably is Bruce Springsteen's success in an ill and sick society <laughs> do you actually not want to be successful because that's indicative of somehow being I mean I was thinking that like we're going to be sitting there mm-hmm. we each paid 350 bucks plus the fee for tickets and Bruce is going to be singing about working in a factory yeah the irony is abound yeah <laughs> Totally. I mean, that's also such a, such a situation for creative people. Like I'm someone who has always kept my creative expression, like away from money-making. I've kind of had them, I've been like, okay, I'll do this work and like figure it out over here. And then I will do my creative expression, all that stuff, but like not related to getting paid for it. It's just felt easier, made more sense to me in a way, protecting it from attempting to protect it right attempting to separate it yeah but now i'm even considering like what if i did like try to get paid to do things that are more in the creative realm i've never done anything like that i think there's benefit to it but then there's there's a cost of course and it's like unfortunate because we from the get-go we live in a completely transactional society where everything is like benefit cost analysis you were asking what you know what defines success and of course that's going to be subjective and every day you're going to go well now i feel successful i could remember this or some days it's like lost perspective on whether on a sense of success like i think that's just a thing that we have to grapple with all the time and it changes it's not maybe some people are very devoted they remember their reason and their sense of success all the time and i think that as someone who isn't so much like always clear about like, this is what I'm doing. This is my purpose. This is exactly like it's I'm devotional in that way. Then I lose my sense of, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing something else? I'm exactly the same way. I mean, I, I'm trying to get my head around touring again, the way that I was before the pandemic. And yeah, I am really struggling with that because I have this awareness now about the climate yeah. and the heavy footprint of flying and driving places. Yeah. And I really enjoyed not doing that for a little bit. Yeah. And I'd never done that in my adult life. And it was really great. So I, I'm really, I don't know. There's a part of me that is just, I'm like, well, that's the only way you get to sell out the XL energy arena is just getting out there, you know? And, and then the next thought will be, what is the value of ambition? I mean, is there value to that? Or is, is contentedness and time with loved ones in a beautiful place? And then you die. And then we're looking at space pictures from 300 million years after the Big Bang and the universe is 13.8 billion years old, and who cares? It might just come down to what you feel like doing at any given time. It might not be like, what's the mandate of rightness and wrongness and what one should do. It's like some people gravitate toward extremes of that, but I think most of us fit in, just like the mental health question, most of us fit in somewhere in the spectrum of having some ambition and intentional going toward a certain thing. And then we have some of the spectrum going over toward like living a simple good life with quality stuff that we're doing. And we're just kind of working toward contentedness. And there's a tension between that, like ambition and satisfaction and yearning for things and 
having an aversion to things. And I think that maybe that's part of living in our, in our middle-aged life. I'm entering what I would consider the middle ages. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so it's not quite as much like, who are you going to be? What are you going to do? Like, you've already done some things. You kind of know a little bit about what, you know, who you are. And then it's like, do you want to identity again there's identity again yeah like and do you want to change your identity it's kind of like i think it's i'm looking at it currently like it's up to you and that's okay like there's there is a lot of free will there's a lot of like i'm gonna now be an ice cream maker and that's something you can do and it's like i don't currently think that there's like a mandate about one must what one must do but rather that there's a lot of things you could do and some people end up for different reasons like they have kids and that kind of creates a situation where you are probably working on the on the contentedness side of things a little bit more but actually some parents are like very much just doing their ambition thing while they're parenting but if my sister's like that she's crushing both she's crushing her career she's crushing the family she's just like she's crushing it yeah well and and how is she doing i mean that's the question if she's like in in a measurable in the in those measures she's crushing it then like is she okay yeah she's great that's awesome. That's the thing that, well, exactly. So I was going to say in your work, when these students come to you expressing some degree of distress, yeah, usually is when they probably come to you. Oh, yeah. What is the goal then? Is it to get them to a place of contentedness or of coping? What are we doing if we're trying to teach people to cope in a, in a culture that is sick? Well, I think that we're more on the spectrum of response to harm, like in social work. There's down the river, which is just like cleaning the bodies up out of the river. And then there's like upstream where you're like trying to get the boat out of the water before it goes down the rapids that eventually kills the people. So there's like prevention so you can go further upstream. So I think that most of our world right now we're doing crisis response we're all we're, we're like okay this shit happened so now we're cleaning up and now now someone's way down the road people are not we're not in the place where we're like doing the more subtle prevention where people are like oh i have choice and like usually by the time they get to us in the clinic they are suicidal they are like extremely depressed haven't talked to anyone for weeks and then some really into drugs and alcohol and like having a hard time with that there's just things that have developed so people are farther down the line people don't get help because you're not supposed to get help until you have a problem and so there's not the like in the prevention world you kind of if you had a different paradigm that like you're not sick you just constantly need to like like part of being alive is just having these evolving sets of experiences and needs and it would just be totally different to not be working from that illness problem fix it mentality it's like dentistry a little bit if you just stay on it then cavities don't develop but almost i know i should call my dentist i have to go in tomorrow <laughs> that's why it's on my mind i hate it i hate it i know we do I hate it. I hate it, but I really learned with this one tooth, I learned this lesson. It's like, if I'd been on top of it, yeah, it never would have gotten to where it hurt. Right, right. So upstream, and so that, and then in terms of like the sick society, I think that my my two cents about that is we need, we need different medicine, proverbial medicine. We need to like, for me, it's like having other people. It's like connection. It's 
there's things that we need that work as preventative medicine, like that where we don't go down the path that becomes, quote, mental illness and, you know, this sort of diseases of sadness and anxiety and fear and like, what do we need to counterindicate, to contraindicate that? We need each other, we need touch, we need contact, we need fun and we need expression and we need food and like just we need the human things and then it's I think that that amounts to less of a likelihood of course there's variations for each person but that's just some of the things that I know that I need and that I've learned like when I'm around people like it's a lot easier for me to not freak out and go into you know a place of being lost in myself that's not useful so not just around people but like connected and like you know like just living life i don't think i think i don't think we're meant to be so separated and i think particularly for us as like u.s citizens as white people like just the culture that is like the most normal dominant culture which is like middle class white u.s like it's very separated for the most part and you and I are kind of more part of like counterculture um but still even so there's still that internalized like this should be fine this should be good and there's people like your sister who seem to be like having a great time with it and seem to be like you know doing the things and you know it seems to be working out but it doesn't work out well for everyone and we're trying to make sense of that like why why does buying into the mainstream values and culture work for some and not work for others and make make those who don't feel satisfied by it feel bad about themselves and feel like there's something wrong with them yeah there should be there should be different the same way there's like different schools you know yeah there's like the art school or whatever there should be different adult i guess that's what cities are i mean like olympia is a pretty fun yeah olympia has its own draw there's like a culture of people who get here and people who come to evergreen who are like oh, right this is my place this is my college this is me and people are looking for reflections of themselves i also think that that's a whole another subject that would be interesting to talk about but like mm, whoa like the idea of like looking for people who are like us i would argue that there's like a lot of people that are good to be close to that are not like us that's a, another valuable thing like the more in our society we get separated especially politically, it's like we're losing touch with, you know, with the addition of like cancel culture and like, we're just, we're losing touch with like the importance of having everyone on board with like the real issues, which are like climate catastrophe. Like we don't need to fuck around with like anything else really. <laughs> like It gets so distracted. It's so, I do, it happens to me too. It's like, I just want to keep my eye on the ball. I mean, it's like, and it's hard to do that. I mean, it's hard to face. It's really hard. I can barely face, like I listen to news, this and that. And I, you know, but when it's, I'll, I've noticed that when, when the topic is climate catastrophe, it's really hard for me to go, okay, I'm going to read these articles. And some people are kind of fascinated by it. And they like, it's like a horror movie. They like want to, they're drawn to it. And I have certain things that I'm, that I can take, like hearing about war, maybe it's almost easier for me. There's something that's so it's sad. There's like, just, a, it's not even just violence between human beings. It's like, there's a grief that is so overwhelming 
for me to face with climate stuff that it's like, I just, it feels like I can't take it. And then, and I'm someone who's like relatively well set up to be able to. So like, I think of all the people in the world who like are not in a position, they're like, they have more shit going on and they're busy and they're struggling. Like that's just something I'm currently trying to. That actually sheds some light on something I've been wondering recently, which is why we collectively don't take it more seriously and make actual choices it's almost like it's too much it's too sad absolutely because we're it's a mass extinction event well and that's something there's actually now climate grief or like that's an actual that's a phrase now and i think that that's something that has now it's starting to be incorporated into mental health services Mm. is that like the experience of you know being freaked out and overwhelmed and scared and depressed and all this stuff because of these realities, like that is now, it's like a thing that you can seek treatment for, which is the language that we have, right? It's basically like, of course, humans feel this way, but it's now like the best, the closest thing we have is putting it into words that are like, this is a symptom basically like there's experiences and then there's like symptoms related to those experiences. So people are having symptoms of freaking the fuck out because shit is wild and actually happening. And yeah. And it's like, well, yes, freak out. Yeah. Stop. Everybody stop going to work. Yes. Well, okay. So that's, that is a good thought because like, but then the question is, I think what we, what we didn't get to practice or learn or get modeled for us, we didn't, get to see that so I think that a lot of us are confused about like how do we freak out like how do we freak out in a way that kind of motivates us to be able to think so like if I if I punch the wall and like if I just cried and I like how do you freak out and then you like are able to think about mass extinction and like do more things about it like how I don't think we know how to do that what we know how to do is stuff it down get through the day watch some tv and like like that's what we that's the best lots of tv (laughs) yeah people watch myself and just watch it you know i saw this there's this one woman that i saw during the roe v wade that first day when they announced the thing and there were these protests i went downtown to civic center and there was this there was a group of young women i mean these were young kids like maybe 17 maybe 16 maybe 18 but very young people mm-hmm. and the look they were shouting these things, you know, mm-hmm. at this barricade with these stone faced, all men wearing uniforms mm. that were, I guess, protecting, you know, who knows, just shouting the, and their faces, Emily, like they were so bunched up in anger and grief. And I was, just I was watching them and I was thinking, I don't know what to do with this. I, they're, they, that, that anger and that grief is not going to change this immense structure that is. Well, see, I would argue that that's, I would argue that we need to take the lead of young people like that who are able to, show that anger and grief. And I would say that that's, I think that that's more hopeful than, you know, all the adults who kind of like, we've become more complicit. We really have, we really have. More discouraged. Like we're not on those front lines, like just bunched up and we're, we're kind of like, we're just going on with our lives. And 
So I would argue that it is useful for them to show that. And I know there's that sense of like, oh my God, what can I, what can I do for you? What, what, this isn't, what, what do we do with this? But I think we need to, I think that young people are showing us the truth about ourselves more than we see. Like young people are like showing more because they aren't as crushed, but they're just like, this is crazy. I'm, I can't tolerate this. Right. Like David, David Hogg, the Parkland uh, victim or one of the, he was at the Parkland shooting. He just got dragged out of this congressional hearing yesterday because- Parkland survivor, David Hogg, he attended that hearing, but was removed after this outburst. Reiterating the point of mass shooters in your manifesto. The shooter in my high school, anti-Semitic, anti-Black, and racist. The shooter in El Paso described it as an invasion. Guess what? Those guns are coming from the United States of America. They are coming from Mexico. They are not coming from Mexico. You are reiterating the points of a mass shooter, sir. Sir, you are perpetuating this violence. Hogg was directing his comments at Republican Congressman Andy Biggs, who stated that guns used in shootings like Parkland come from Mexico. That makes me feel sad about middle age, but it, it especially, that, so you think about that with us. What about these 60 and 70 and 80 year olds that are running the country? It's like, these guys, it's like, you guys gotta go. You gotta go. You gotta go. It's, it's too late. You gotta go. Yeah, we've got to figure out how to center the people who are queer on queer on the topic like the people who are like and i would say like indigenous people have like I and mean, that's a generalization but they're like the like there's indigenous movements and leadership have not strayed from the fact that like climate catastrophe is the thing like that we need to focus on like we just need to figure out how to well and white supremacy i mean they understand that in a very in a way that is so deep. Right. So like figuring out how to move people into power who have their eyes on the prize, so to speak. And and it is totally devastating. Like you said, that vision of young people just expressing our collective upset more honestly than we can and then seeing what they're up against and really what crushed us. Because we all have done our own version of that where, you know, even where we did that to our parents and we were like, why you know just showing our heartbreak about something and then parents just like or people in power just not changing yeah you know what mine was mine was i was a little older probably than that person but the bush re-election after the iraq war and after 9 11 in 2004 as if like john Kerry was some sort of fucking progressive hero you know forget about them all the flaws of the binary system I was just, that really, I just couldn't get around that that guy would win again. And then that the next day I would go rehearse the band. Like I just, the next day I got a cup of coffee and drove to downtown LA and like filled up my tank and we rehearsed. Yeah. And it, it was just like, well, I guess we just carry on. I guess the whole thing just keeps fucking going. Right. Well, and we've been through, I mean, I remember moments, like I remember for, like with Trump's election, that was a devastating. Right. It's hard to really properly, or what feels like proper, what's the, how do you grieve? How do you freak out as we're calling it? And then how do you move forward in a way that isn't just discouraged 
I think it takes a lot of doing, and I think that a lot of people just don't know how to prioritize that work in themselves in their own lives, partially because of capitalism, we don't have the time, but also because we didn't have it modeled for us. Because I think that it is possible, I do believe that we can get there to like pay attention to what is happening. We don't have to live in denial, but it's fucking hard when there's Speaking of entertainment, speaking of like how much access we have to just being distracted and like not, I think that there is value to entertainment as well, but I don't know, like I struggle with that trying to get to, I don't know how to do any better than what I did. Like for instance, with when Trump was elected the first time, just being like in shock for like years, frankly, and then how to turn around and then how just thing after thing after thing after thing it just it pummels your sense of hope it's also you know it's part of part of what makes you lose the emotional rawness and like numbs you is those repeated exposures to that yeah 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 and you know like honestly we were pretty fucking naive to think that that wouldn't happen right the the, one of the biggest examples of that that i think of is 9-11 it's like collective shock like i mean the entire country just david letterman's on there just like i don't know how to do this but i'm gonna try to come back you know and you think it's you think you know this is a hundred years of imperialist policy of militant fucking bombing every other nation in the world you don't think someone's gonna fight back yeah how like we are so we're so steeped in propaganda and naive that we're shocked at that right absolutely generations oh i read something about um how this is that we have a generation who have now been raised something about this so like they, they have now been raised without the illusion that capitalism worked right yes i mean we were sort of i feel like i you know i was sort of i had i was on that tip like i was you know i wasn't i wasn't on it well I, and i was like okay this is this doesn't work but it you know but i would say that now like with the internet and with growing up like growing up if you're like le- under 25 like it is way more likely that you like that's just the the general oh right because it was about work and it was about how this is a generation who are not like okay i have to work a ton i want to i want to work a ton and i want it they're like I want to just, I'd rather just like stay with my family or just like really not believing that it makes sense to like kill yourself to work a ton and just buy into the capitalist plan. Yeah, what was the phrase? There's a phrase that they all say now that's like, um, I don't dream of labor. Oh. That's the phrase. Whoa. They're getting they're getting interviewed for a job and they ask them like, where do you see yourself in five years? And it's like, well, I don't dream of labor. Oh, that's radical. Yeah. It's not my dream to work. Yeah. Dream job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And everyone's just like, huh, I don't know what to do with that. Like, (laughs) what are we going to do with that? Like, what? That's what I mean a little bit about the ambition thing. I mean, but you got to have enough to eat. I'm going to cold us to this, to this three minutes. We have three and a half minutes left. Cool. Sounds perfect. What do we need to tell the world? What What does the world need to know? I think the world needs to know that we can face the unbearable things that we are amidst and we can we know what to do like we can 
I would say I really loved your the bunched faces of the young people. I think that those are exactly the leaders that we need and that we can get behind as discouraged middle-aged people. We can still find our way back to feeling and back to caring and still be radical, period. We can face, I don't know what that looks like in terms of climate catastrophe, but we have to stay alive, basically. We have to stay alive and we, we can figure out how to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to give us a Bruce Springsteen quote here. Do it. If you can't make it, if you can't make it, stay hard Stay hungry, stay alive if you can. Well, if you can make it, stay hard, stay hungry, stay alive if you can. And meet me in a dream of this hot Yeah. Yeah. That's worth, you know, let's be honest, that's worth 400 bucks. <laughs> totally. I, but I would change it to, I don't want to stay hard. For me personally, I'm trying to, right. to like. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Because I, I feel like I know how to do that where I'm like, I'm I'm hard, I am I can stay hungry and I can stay alive and fuck you and I can fight. But I'm actually. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to fight. I, right. I'm trying, I'm actually working on like not having to be hard, but still staying like as devoted to the truth and the, the, uh, the alive part. Like, how do we stay alive and yes, survive? Yeah. How do we stay alive, survive? And then like have keepers. Not even thrive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I feel like alive is thrive is a whole nother concept, right? Like, and, I'll take a lot. I had this guy in New Hampshire tell me that once. He was like, uh, I was I was playing not a great gig in New Hampshire. And he was <laughs> like, it seems like you're surviving, but you're not thriving. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I guess you're not wrong, man. You know, I guess you're not wrong. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Oh, this is so fun. With us. I can't, yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about middle agency. Middle agency. Oh. But we did talk about middle ages. Yeah, we'll talk about. But yeah, that's that was the concept that I just I you taught me that and I've never forgotten it. I oh, think cool. about it all the time cool. because I don't want to be like middle agent. Yeah, I don't want to be in any way helping the sixes. I don't know if I can tear it down, but I don't want to be assisting it. That's a beautiful thing to think about, like how to how to stay alive and then how to make decisions to strategically not collude with the power system. Yeah. <laughs>